So this is the second week of our June CSA online retreats. And last week we focused uh, quite a bit, we went into quite a bit of detail regarding meditation, meditation practice and philosophy and um, quite a bit about that. So uh, this week I'd like to continue and, and look more at Kriya Yoga and our actual practice discipline and what will help um, support and uh, nurture our meditation practice and then how our meditation practice also nurtures and supports our regular day-to-day life. So this will be uh, what we'll look at today and as we go forward in the week uh, to some degree. So once upon a time, there was a, a fellow who was coming home late at night and as he walked up the street toward his house, he noticed his neighbor was out in the street underneath the stop, underneath the, the street light, and he was down on his hands and knees on all fours, and he was searching, 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 a little frantic looking. And so, so the fellow came up to his neighbor and he said, uh, "You know, what's the matter? It looks like you're you're having a truck problem here. Uh, can I help?" And the fellow said, well, he says, I've, I've dropped the key to my house. I cannot find the key to my house. I can't get into my house. I've been searching out here for such a long time. I don't know what to do. And so the fellow said, well, I'll, let me see if I can help you. So he gets down on his hands and knees and starts to look around in the gutter and move some leaves. And they're searching, searching. And after a couple of minutes, the, the fellow says, uh, let's, I'll just stop for a moment. Let's recreate the situation. Exactly where were you standing when you dropped your key? And the fellow said, well, I was standing over there at my front door. And the guy said, and the the neighbor says, "Well, well, why are you out here in the street looking for your key if you dropped it at the front door? And he said, well, the light's much better here. And so this is the challenge that we have we go looking for solutions for answers where we think the light is better and the reality is that wherever the problem occurred is where the solution is so so we can find our uh, solutions to our challenges in life and to our unfolding processes right where we are wherever we are in ancient india the the, the rishis the seers the wise ones Um, developed a series of systems, ways of assisting us, allowing us to assist ourselves, really, in this awakening process and coming into an awareness of what we are and our relationship with the world around us and ultimate reality. So there there are some technologies that have been um, understood and disseminated, talked about, taught uh, for thousands of years. And in the Indian tradition, in yoga philosophy, there are um, several different classic forms of yoga. And so one of these, the one that most people are aware of, one that most people have heard of, is Hatha yoga. Hatha is Hatha, sun and moon. It's the yoga of balancing energy, balancing internal energies, of uh, creating flexibility and strength in the body. And so there are these asanas, these postures that one can take and moving through these postures, create uh, internal balance, stamina, strength. And part of hatha, is, hatha yoga is also um, the beginning of pranayama, moving some energy, moving life force, and also uh, practical things, you know, diet and nutrition. So some of these are all incorporated in part of this healthy living and, you know, creating structure and strength for the body and balancing energies. And Hatha yoga is said to be the only one of the yogas, the classical yogas, that is not a complete path to self-realization. It is a foundation. It is where we begin and it sets a good foundation so that from you know, so if we're healthy and we're living a balanced life and the energy is moving appropriately um, and the body has some strength to it, stamina and flexibility, these things are all characteristics that will help create a foundation 
from which we can start and we can really move into a deeper level of uh, self-exploration and self-awareness, self-realization. So this is Hatha Yoga. And then the second yoga, and, and as a reminder, yoga means to bring together our attention and awareness with our essence of being. So this is, the, the word yoga comes from the word yoke, to tie, to bind. And interestingly, it's the same word as religion. Religion is the Latin for religion is religios. Ligios is ligature, is a tie. And re is back. So uh, religios, re, religion means to tie back or to join or to bring together, just like yoga. So that's interesting. So yoga is the, is the process that we use, the way that we are able to bring this attention and awareness, our consciousness together with our essence of being so we experience, realize what we really are. And so, so the second of our classical yogas is called bhakti yoga. Bhakti means devote, devotion. And so in the practice of bhakti yoga, we are um, encouraged to be able to look and see that God is expressing as everything, in everything, in us, as us. And so we develop a relationship, an ongoing moment-by-moment relationship with ultimate reality, with God. However we conceive God to be, whatever our point of contact is, we are in constant, constant awareness and inner communion, conversation with this higher reality. And so we see everything that we do as being done in God, that God is working through us, and that we are, uh, and then we have this relationship that is very devotional and very appreciative, and that we are, you know, um, in this constant relationship, constant inner conversation with this higher uh, ultimate reality, this higher aspect of ourself, devotion. And so, devotion is bhakti yoga. And then we have jnana yoga, and this is the yoga of wisdom the yoga of discernment, of the intellect. So jnana yoga, we use the, the buddhi, the intellect, to look at what is happening and to discern the difference between what's real and what's not real, what's permanent and what's not permanent, what's right and what's wrong, what's useful and what's not useful. This is discrimination, discernment. And so we, we can really focus on being constantly aware of this Ability to discern and discriminate in uh, as we go through life, and of course, one of the classic, uh, basic discriminations is the discernment between what is what is real, what is permanent, and what is not real. And of course, this is a place where uh, where normal people, normal consciousness, makes a big mistake. They assume that what is permanent is impermanent. And they assume that what is impermanent is permanent. So they think this body, this planet, this universe is permanent. This persists forever. And, of course, it doesn't. Everything, everything basically comes back, is resolved back into its essence. And so nothing in the external world is permanent. Um, and so discernment, discrimination gives us the ability to see that. I remember um, uh, one time listening to a Buddhist say, that he bought a new coffee cup. And he said, this beautiful coffee cup that he really liked, it was well-made. But he says, when he, when he bought the cup, he saw the cup was broken. So, because eventually it will break. Eventually it will fall off a counter. Eventually something will happen. And, and so we have these objects, we have these items, we relate to the circumstances and events of life, but they're all temporary. They're all impermanent. And if we're okay with that in the beginning, then we're not upset when finally does break. You know, we have the opportunity to, to be stewards and to utilize and to interact with the things of our life. But we do so sort of lightly without getting too, you know, too attached. And so, so we can use these powers of discernment and discrimination and analysis and really look at what is happening. What is the nature of reality? What is the nature of myself? What am I? And use discernment and discrimination and allow our intuition to come to play. And really, this is a very intense mental process. 
So this is jnana yoga. Then we have karma yoga. Karma yoga is the yoga of selfless service. And so here we see that we are but servants of life. Life is a blessing, a gift to us. And because we understand that uh, because because uh, our life is an expression of the one life and its nature is to take care of itself, that we don't have to look for what's in it for us. We don't have to look for rewards. We don't have to look for the fruits of our actions. But rather, we do what we do because we are led to do it. We are guided to do it. We are participating with life, making a useful contribution, selfless service. So karma yoga is about working and working simply to give, to share, to contribute with whatever we have in our life to this larger process, to, to God as, as the entire world and environment and individuals. And so we think nothing of ourselves. We look for no reward. We look for nothing, no feedback, but simply we do what we do because we know that it's our thing to do. It's given to us. So this is karma yoga. So we have bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, karma yoga, and and then there is a, a form of yoga that is um, a combination of these, which is called Raja Yoga. And Raja Yoga incorporates devotion, wisdom, uh, selfless service, and also adds meditation. So these all together are Raja, and Raja means royal. So this is the royal path. Raja Yoga is the royal path, and this is what is... Uh, described in some detail in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And within the system of Raja Yoga, there is a subset that is Kriya Yoga. So Kriya Yoga is Raja Yoga with uh, some specific techniques and some specific emphasis, teaching emphasis. But it's basically essentially Raja Yoga. So, So our practice, our practice of Kriya Yoga is designed to allow us to uh, facilitate our awakening, to allow us to wake up to the realization, the experience of what we really are, and then to remove the obstacles that stand in the way of our uh, liberated experience and to remove the obstacles that stand in the way of, of our experience and expression of consciousness. So, so we come to the awareness of what our nature is, what is our relationship with this larger reality, and uh, what, we, what can we do to help support this inner awakening process. So, so in the beginning of the um, second chapter of the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali says in Sanskrit, says tapas, swadhyaya, ishvara pranidhana, kriya yoga. So Kriya, Kriya means action. So the Kriyas are the actions. This is what we engage in. This is the process that we engage in in order to uh, experience this yoga, this coming together of attention and awareness with our essence of being. So Kriya, action, yoga is our objective. And this Kriya yoga is formed by, is created by, or is the, the components of it are uh, tapas, Swadhyaya, Ishvara, Paninana. Tapas, tapas is self-discipline, intense self-discipline. So we make decisions about what we're going to do, make decisions about our direction, and then we follow through. And this is discipline. So discipline is simply deciding we're going to do a thing or not do a thing, and then following through. And the actual Sanskrit word tapas all uh, actually means to heat, to cook. And so in the process of our self-discipline, sometimes we have to cook a little. Sometimes we have to, sometimes it takes some energy and some effort to make a change, to let go of those habits that are not useful, to incorporate those new habits that are useful, uh, you know, to create some structure in our life or some regular routine, uh, to change our diet so that we're eating, you know, more nutritionally dense, healthy, organic, uh, supportive foods and avoiding the things that are um, heavy, tamasic, um, uh, challenging uh, for the system, 
or that have a tendency to become addictive. You know, we think we have things like sugar that very quickly becomes addictive and we need more sugar and more sugar. And many people these days are, are running around as sugar addicts and we should be smarter than that. We should be wiser than that. We should use our intellect. Remember, intellect is part of our Kriya Yoga path. So our discernment and our wisdom we use to, to make choices that are the best for us. I think very useful for us to remember that we just have to take ourselves from where we are right now. So, so we can have a, a clear picture, a good idea of the ideal. So we say, oh, well, this is, this is how, how saints live. This is how extremely uh, enlightened, wise ones, this is how their lives are. And so far from where I am right now, I don't know if I could ever get that far. And, but, but I can at least accept the possibility that I can move in that direction. So it's useful for us to take baby steps, to take the little, to make little changes, to start moving in the direction that we want to go in. Because if we take on this big giant thing all at once, it's like the New Year resolution. I am, you know, I'm done with chocolate cake. Too much chocolate cake. So, so that resolution lasts for about a week until we go to mom's house and she offers us some chocolate cake and we go, well, it's just this once, you know, it'll be a small piece, but uh, it's a slippery slope. So we make big decisions about things that can be challenging and then, uh, and then we make an excuse. We find a way to sort of, sort of slip around that. And the next thing we know, you know, we're waiting for next year to be able to make that resolution again and get back on it. So much better to just start in small ways and to just allow ourselves to make little changes, knowing that little changes add up, they accumulate. And over time, and we have time, uh, over time we'll see that there are huge differences, big changes that have been made as a result of all these little small changes along the way. So the first thing we do is, is get started and do something. Kriya, action. Go into action. So we begin by just picking anything, it doesn't really matter, any little thing that we can do to change, to become disciplined, to, in other words, to set our intention and say, this is what I'm going to do. And even if it's only, you know, to, to meditate on a regular basis every day, if I'm not doing that already, shame on you. And of course you are because you're showing up for a nice long meditation. But for example, if you're not meditating every day, and you say, well, I just can't, I can't, I don't have time. I can't sit for a half an hour every single day. I can't, you know, it, it's, it, it just doesn't work for me. And so we say, okay, well then how about five minutes? How about starting off with just five minutes? Just take five minutes and sit down and be quiet. You know, this is a start. And if we do that every day, we do this on a regular, regular basis, we find that we'll be able to make more time. This will unfold because now we've just, we've just accumulated some personal power. Every time that we intend to do something and follow through, this reinforces our ability to make a decision and follow through. We, we, we gain personal power. We get energy from this. So every, every little decision that we make, every discipline that we engage in empowers us, makes us stronger, makes our willpower stronger, gives us more confidence in our ability to move forward. And so starting in little ways can make big, big differences. So we start off. So tapas, this is self-discipline. The second, swatyaya, this is self-study. And self with a, with a capital S, the nature of the self. What am I? And so our self-study includes um, reading the scriptures, reading what, the, what our uh, teachers, what the wise ones have told us, the philosophy of what we are and how, this, how we came to be, that our nature is pure consciousness, that we are never, uh, that, that this pure conscious essence of our being is never changed, it doesn't get worse, doesn't get better, we can't improve it, we can't make it worse. Um, it just is what it is, always. However, we become identified with this limited point of view. And in this identification, 
we experience suffering, we experience problems because we start thinking and feeling that we're separate, we're outside. So there is this ultimate reality, God, out there somewhere. And if I could just connect with that, my life would be wonderful. You know, I would be peaceful and happy and content and prosperous and being able to keep my attention focused if I could just make the connection. And of course, here our philosophy is you're never, you can't be disconnected. You are an expression of that which you're aspiring to. And so, so the whole, whole problem, the whole process is just simply one of waking up, waking up to what's really happening. And the waking up process comes by removing the veils, removing the uh, concepts and the ideas and the things that are limiting and stand in our way. So, so self-study is looking at our, at, at uh, learning about what our nature is, uh, looking at our nature, at our essence, and then also the self-study is observing ourselves. So we just notice there's part of us, part of us, this is the intellect, the discerning part, part of us, it's in the buddhi, the intellect, can observe what we're thinking and how we're feeling and how we're acting. And so this this observation is also part of our self-study. So we are studying, we become kind of the, kind of our own experiment. You know, the laboratory of our life, we are observing, how does this work? Look at this, here's a reaction to this. I wonder what that is about. Why am I reacting in this way? Why do I uh, have the intention to do this and then I end up over here doing that? You know, why, what's happening here? So study means that we're looking and observing ourselves and coming into an awareness of what's really going on. How are we wired up? What are the subconscious impressions and the karmas and the things that kind of are coming to play underneath the hood? And as we become aware of them, as we bring them into awareness, then we can begin to deal with them. And how do we deal with these things that we find are not particularly useful or, you know, creating challenges and problems? How do we deal with those? We go back to the discipline. So we notice, okay, I'm having this reaction. I tend to be, you know, I'm getting kind of worried and anxious about, you know, what's going to happen next in the interesting drama on the planet. And so, I'm, you know, I'm living these kind of little uh, anxiety, fear, worry. And, and I know as a spiritual being that I'm immortal and that uh, there is nothing to be afraid of. It all, all comes from ideas. So I have to ask myself, well, what am I carrying around with me that is being triggered by these events that allows this fear to come up, this anxiety to come up? So I look at myself, and then I decide, I don't like being fearful. I don't like being anxious, so I'm not going to do it. So every time that I feel this anxiety coming up, I'm going to stop, take a couple of really nice deep breaths, remind myself that my nature is immortal, perfect, infinite, um, that uh, that there's an intelligence that is moving through everything as everything and I don't have to figure it out and I don't have to worry about it because it knows what to do and it knows how to take care of itself and it knows how to take care of me. So I can let go of the anxiety and the fear. This is a discipline. See, and as we, as we keep becoming aware again and again and again of the places where we're wobbling a little, these subconscious impressions come to play, then we slowly but surely are able to take the energy from them, to, to neutralize them, to, to, to disable or disarm them, so they're no longer active. So Swadhyaya, this is self-study. We study the nature of the self, and part of that is also studying the nature of our relationship with ultimate reality. So it's, you know, we cannot really understand, define, come into an awareness of our true nature without having an awareness of its, its uh, connection, its relationship with this larger reality. So all this is part of Swadhyaya. So this is an action we take, study intentionally, paying attention, looking and learning as we can 
and then taking what we look, what we see and what we learn and applying that to our discipline to make changes and alterations where we need to. So that's the second leg of our Kriya Yoga practice. And the third leg is Ishvara Pranidhana, and Ishvara is ultimate reality. Um, if you look Ishvara up, there are different subtleties and definitions depending on which, uh, which school of yoga you're looking from. But in our, in our tradition, in Raja Yoga and Patanjali, um, Ishvara is synonymous with ultimate reality. So we have Ishvara and Pranidhana means um, to come into the awareness that you are one with it. Well, sometimes it's defined as to let go of the, the ego. The ego being the sense of uh, the ego being a sense of independent existence, like I am outside trying to plug into God. And this ego is the feeling, the sensation that I'm separate. And so, when we let go of the ego, in order to let go of the ego, we have to feel not separate, which means we feel connected. So, pranidana pranidana means that we feel ourselves to be one with all of life. We feel ourselves to be all, one with all of this expressive universe, and we feel ourselves to be one with that which emanated the universe, with Ishvara, with ultimate reality. So we come into this awareness that I am one with all that is. So this is Ishvara Pranidhana. Now, when we go back and look at each one of these aspects, we say, well, Ishvara Pranidhana, letting go of the ego, the sense of separation, addresses our feelings. This is how we feel. And uh, our self-study, looking at the, our nature and, and the story we're telling ourselves about what we are, you know, this is really our thinking. So how we're thinking and then um, what we're doing, how we're incorporating our discipline, this is how we're acting. So Kriya Yoga is about coming to terms with and, and incorporating our thinking, our feeling, and our acting. So what we think, what we feel, what we act, um, mastering these, coming into the awareness, and allowing ourselves to come above this normal, limited, fragmented consciousness, but rather to be uh, living always super consciously, that is, aware of our nature, aware of our relationship with God, and aware that we have the power to to decide what to do and to make the changes that we need to change and to set a course and to follow through. So this is Kriya Yoga. It's Kriya Yoga. And Kriya Yoga, uh, in the second uh, sutra of the second chapter, um, Patanjali goes on to say that Kriya Yoga is practiced for the purpose of experiencing samadhi or yoga, oneness consciousness, and for removing the obstacles, the things that stand in the way of our expression, of our, of our uh, 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 free and unlimited expression on the planet of our life, the obstacles to that, and the obstacles that stand in the way of our uh, meditation and our deeper um, experience of self-awareness. So the obstacles. And... Uh, and we'll talk more about obstacles tomorrow. But uh, but I'm remind, reminded of uh, another story, a Buddhist story. And this one is where there's a fellow who's walking across a field. And he walks across the field. He notices off in the distance at the edge of the forest, there's a tiger stalking him. And so he's kind of, he glances over and he sees the tiger is walking along, it's kind of parallel to him. And so he starts to move away from the tiger across the field in another direction. And as he starts to move away from the tiger, the tiger realizes what he's doing. And so the tiger starts to run across the field to get him. And as he sees the tiger start to run, he starts to run. And so he's running just as hard as he can. And, you know, here's the tiger chasing him. And, and every single muscle in his body, every fiber is just straining to get away from that tiger. And he runs and he runs and, and the tiger is getting closer and closer. And he comes to a, a big ravine. There's a straight up and down cliff in front of him with this ravine 30 feet deep um, and, and no way to climb down. 
and he notices just over on the side there's a tree and from the branch of a tree there's a vine hanging and so he leaps out hoping that this vine will hold him and he leaps out and grabs onto the vine and he's hanging there and the tiger comes running up to the edge of the ravine and he's just beyond the tiger's reach. And so the tiger's pawing, pawing, you know, trying to get to him and frustrated and, and um, back and forth, back and forth. And this fellow is hanging on for dear life to this vine. And he takes a breath and goes, Phew. you know, that's really close. And then he happens to look down and he notices that down below him, 30 feet below, is a second tiger. And this tiger is pacing back and forth and just looking up. He knows that eventually he's going to have some supper. Uh, and so this fellow is, is sitting here now and he's really kind of panicky and tiger on the top, tiger on the bottom. And, and so he's, you know, not sure what to do. And as he's thinking, he looks up and he happens to notice that just a little ways up the vine, just a few feet up above his, where he can reach, uh, there are two little mice, and the mice have started to gnaw on the vine, and they're chewing their way through the vine as he's hanging there. And the tiger's down below, and the tiger's over here, and you know, and he's really this is in extremis. This is the end. And as he's hanging there, he looks over and he notices on the edge of the ravine on the wall. He notices that there's a strawberry plant, one single strawberry plant, and on the strawberry plant there is a beautiful ripe red, red, um, almost glowing little strawberry. And so he so he reaches out, it's the very tip of his fingers, and just barely can reach it. He reaches out and he grabs the strawberry and he takes it and he puts it in his mouth, and it's so sweet and tasty. Uh, and wonderful. And this story is told <clears throat> sometimes by individuals who say, you know, it's wonderful. We grab that one, you know, have that delight. And in the moment, we are experiencing this, uh, this ecstasy, no matter what's happening around us. And they think that the point of this story is um, to be completely present in the moment, no matter what's happening. But that's exactly the opposite of what this story is meant to tell us. The story is meant to tell us that no matter how challenging life is and how crazy things are around us, we can be distracted by the easiest little teeny desire, the little teeny desire that will distract us and keep us from focusing our attention on what needs to be done. What needs to be done is we need to save ourselves, you know, Forget the strawberry, climb up the vine, knock the mice out of the way, get out of there. But no, we're distracted by these little desires that come along and they keep us from keeping our attention focused on what's really important. And then in between these little desires, these little moments of pleasure, we sit around and we complain about all the things that are happening and how we're victims and how this doesn't work and how we can't and how they're doing this to us and, you know, you know, the conversation, because this is the conversation that normal people have. This is the place where it's the easiest to relate at the, at the level of the lowest common denominator. So when you sit around and talk to somebody, you know, it's wonderful when you can be talking about how great things are and how things are working. But more often than not, it devolves into this is happening. I have this problem and that challenge. And if it's not me, somebody that I know really well is having this problem and that challenge. And it's always down, 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 down. So, so rather than allowing ourselves to be distracted by all the little bright, shiny things around us, we can stay focused on what is our real goal? What are we really about? And if we're really about waking up, uh, moving past limitation, suffering, victimization, if we want to be really... <clears throat> Uh, allowing ourselves to be the full, to have the full experience of life and to be empowered and to be bright and conscious and mindful, to be able to accomplish our purposes easily, to be always feeling like we're living in harmony. You know, God's grace is a real thing. It's always, it's always available to nurture and support and care for us, but we have to allow it. We have to be open to it. And if we're busy being distracted by strawberries along the way, we never get around to doing the homework 
you know, to remove these limitations, these subconscious impressions to deal with these karmas. Um, we don't ever get around to doing the work. And so we constantly find ourselves uh, limited and suffering and challenging. Not us here, but, you know, other people. So, uh, so, so our Kriya Yoga path is simply designed to allow us to... Um, <clears throat> to engage in a process that will result in self-realization, that is to have the experience and the knowledge of our self, of our true nature, and to be able to live a life that is productive, where we can be peaceful, content, prosperous, fulfilled all the time, and living, you know, really living on purpose. So so this is available to us, and, and our Kriya Yoga path is, <coughs> is one that, uh, is very supportive of that. And in one final note, um, there are many paths, there are many approaches to um, solving the problems, the challenges of life, and to coming to an awareness, waking up. And because this is, because we are waking up, we're not <clears throat> becoming something different, we're not, uh, you know, accumulating anything, we're not getting anything, we're really just getting rid of the the limitations. Um, uh, everyone's in the same boat. So everyone is an expression of God and everyone has this ability within them. And so there is not an exclusive path. Kriya Yoga is not the only way to allow ourselves to wake up. This can happen spontaneously with no path. You know, this can happen uh, as a result of uh, almost any spiritual or religious tradition that we really deeply get into. Um, so there are many different approaches, many different ways. And, uh, and so we can be, you know, noticing and make sure that what, that the path that we're on, that what we're engaged in works for us, that we're getting benefit from this, that this is, that we're, that we're not only understanding the philosophy, um, but engaging in the practice and engaging in the practice feels right. You see that this resonates with us because this needs to be alive, a living uh, process for us. And there are some traditions, some disciplines, um, that are very kind of restrictive. <clears throat> that is, they have rules, very strict rules about how to approach and how to, uh, you know, interact with God and how to, uh, even how to meditate. And we do, the, first you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and there's a very structured approach and for some individuals, this very structured approach um, is useful. They, they need that. Um, you know, this helps to create some order and some structure that allows them to plug in and feel more comfortable. Our particular approach in Kriya Yoga, in this particular emphasis, this particular discipline uh, that, that was uh, taught by Mr. Davis, um, is not restrictive. It doesn't have this structure to it. Uh, rather, the individuals that come to us um, um, don't have any limitations. We give them the tools, all the tools, everything that they need to be able to make their progress, but they have to make the decision. You have to make the decision to engage, and you have to make the decision to be responsible for taking the actions that you take. So there's no one looking over your shoulder to see how many you know, how many Kriya Pranayams do you do or how many how many minutes do you meditate each day or how much are you doing? This is all an inside job. And so what Mr. Davis taught us and encouraged us was to be responsible, see, to step up and do what we can do. And in this way, to recognize that we have the power to be transformed. We have the power to engage and to do these things and to become much stronger, much faster. So for those that are drawn to this approach, um, you know, we, once again, we encourage you to do the work. It doesn't do any good to just have a lot of information. It doesn't do it. You know, I mean, it does a lot of good to hang out with us in the morning, of course, because this, this is fun. Um, but it does much more good if we're actually engaging in the practice ourselves, engaging in the process following through with some of the direction, some of the, the guidelines that are given, 
and then actualizing this and coming to the realization through our own experience. Okay, does that make sense? So our Kriya Yoga path is not quite so structured. It's more uh, more open and encouraging of personal responsibility. So I think that's uh, enough about the beginning of our Kriya Yoga. And tomorrow we'll talk about the obstacles that uh, Tanjali lists and some of the other practical uh, practical guidelines and approach to uh, to our progress and our process. So, um, and before we end, are there any questions? Anybody? Ron, I have a question. Okay, hang on. I have to turn up my volume because I'm doing this different sound. Okay. <clears throat> so this is a little bit from last week. We, we, we had some uh, different talks about creative, creative imagination. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been looking into doing some of that, but I'm a little confused because I know Mr. Davis recommends that we set short and long-term goals for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So to me, setting a goal is kind of looking toward the future and this is what I'm, I'm thinking is gonna happen. But then my understanding of creative imagination is that you're focusing on the idea that you already have this, that you have this now. Yes. So I'm kind of wondering how do I, how do I kind of incorporate the future goals with the creative imagination? Well, for example, um, I just ordered uh, a wonderful little book uh, from Amazon. And when I ordered the wonderful little book, it was because I had heard someone talking about this author and I thought, wow, you know, I'd like to see what, how this guy writes and what he has to say and learn a little more about it. So here's my desire is to have this book. And so I go on Amazon and I place the order for the book. So now I am, um, I've taken the action and I know that the book will eventually be delivered to me even though I don't have it. So there's kind of this, this idea, this attitude that we um, imagine ourselves having whatever it is we need course you know in most cases most practical cases uh, there is not a universal Amazon that we can just go put our credit card down and order up you know the new car or the new house or uh, some respect from the people next door or you know um, but the process works the same way we hold in mind the image the picture that implies the the uh, success of our goal and it implies the accomplishment of whatever it is that our desire is. So we hold that picture, and then we have the feeling that corresponds to that. It's done. See that I, that that this this is finished. The universe is now moving heaven and earth, all forces, to be able to move through and accomplish and, and uh, supply what it is that I need. So, so yes, we have. I mean. We have desires, and the desires are projections that go out into the future. Um, you know, for those of us that are here in North America, the desire may be to have lunch pretty soon. This is, you know, authentic desire, you know. <laughs> we don't have to get all, you know, use our creative imagination, although we can imagine the food cooking and what it looks like on our plate, and we can imagine what it feels like to be sitting down. And, and so this is creative imagination. This is, I mean, even on these, in these very small ways, we're never going to have lunch unless we can imagine it and imagine what it feels like. Okay, I'm sitting down and eating now. So, so we have the vision, we have the feeling, and the next thing we know, we're going to be sitting down eating lunch. We take the practical actions that we need to in between, but it begins with the image and the feeling. Everything that ever comes to us, everything we ever do. So creative imagination is just saying, well, well, let's notice that that's what's happening. That's the way things happen and be able to take advantage of that. That's a law of expression. So what about the things that I'm not sure about? What about the things that I don't really have a a grasp on? I can't go to Amazon and order this and I can't go cook it up in my kitchen. It's something that's it's a little bit more distant, a little bit out there. And so now what I do is the same thing as I imagine it's done. I have that new car that I need, you know, it's, and it's blue. And, uh, 
you know, and I can imagine, I can imagine driving my beautiful blue car down the street and the windows down and the wind blowing and I can feel, wow, it's really nice to have a, a better car, you know. I can have the feeling, I can have the picture, and having the feeling and having the picture and knowing that the universe is ever supported, I can just let it go. I've just placed an order with the universe. So, so short-term goals, long-term goals. I remember Richard Bach, who wrote Illusions and uh, Jonathan Livington Seagull. Um, I heard him talking at one point, and he said that when he first was exposed to these principles, um, he thought, oh, well, if this is a really, you know, if this is a law, then I should be able to use that law. So he said, I went back to my hotel room. He was uh, lecturing and he, he was involved, I think, in his advertising business or something. But um, so he was in a hotel and he said, I went back to my hotel room and I sat down and I did creative imagination, creative visualization, and I and I imagined something that was, you know, no big thing. It was just from my past. I remember when I was a kid, I had this little beanbag frog, a little frog in the shape of a beanbag. And so I just imagined that having that beanbag uh, frog and, you know, imagining, you know, what it felt like in my hand and... <clears throat> And it was green, and so I, I just lived with that for a few moments. Felt it, felt it right there, present. Imagined it, showed a picture, you know, had the picture. And he said, "So that was my my beginning experiment with creative imagination." He said, and then I went over and I turned the television on, and it happened to be a children's show, and they were playing with frog beanbags on the TV. Right there, immediately. And he, and, and he went on to, you know, explain that, that it, uh, the little frog beanbag did come to him fairly soon without him having to do anything. Um, but it was just an experiment, you see, just a way of sort of testing the principles, testing the principles and, and finding and seeing um, how well they work. Some things take longer to get delivered. You know, so there's a pandemic out here, so my book doesn't come tomorrow. It's going you know, to be four or five days. It used to be on you know, second day delivery, and second day delivery has turned into something else. But it's okay. It's on the way. And I don't have to be anxious about it, and I don't have to keep reordering it. Um, it'll be here. There's nothing in, in, the, in the cosmos that can possibly stop it. Okay? So, so does that help? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question about that topic. So I've been working with this a little bit, um, but I find that uh, I have a lot of fear that comes up with this because um, I'm not sure if what I think I want is going to be good for me. <laughs> and so, and that's my mind, you know. I'm not sure how to quell that, except for um, perhaps to always ask if it's in my best interest as well. Right. But that seems to conflict with knowing it, knowing that you have it, knowing it's completed. Yes, I understand perfectly, and I, you know, the, in my early explorations with creative imagination, and I, I did, I tested it for, for a few years, and I demonstrated to myself beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was pretty amazing, powerful stuff. You know, I mean, I could sit, I could tell, I could sit here for hours telling you all the crazy little things, the strawberries that I ordered up for myself. You know. <laughs> um, and yes, there's a point we come to where we re recognize that we can be placing orders for things that are not particularly useful and maybe even not be good for us. But the universe doesn't have, uh, doesn't have a filter. It's not judging. It just says, okay, if that's what you want. Here you go. Including, you know, including uh, feelings of uh, limitation and fear and anxiety. 
Okay, the universe says if you want if you want to live in a picture of what could possibly go wrong and have the feeling of how terrible that can be, we can provide that too. I mean, it's just a big dream anyway, so why not? So, so, so the point that I came to my realization was that I had to stop being specific about what I was ordering. Instead of instead of saying, okay, I need this car or I need the beanbag. Um, instead, I would just, I learned to just sit and feel myself to be in my right place. That, that whatever I was supposed to be doing would be given to me. So I felt I would feel myself to be um, happy, content, peaceful, to have a purpose, to know that what I was doing was something that where I was living on purpose, that I was offering useful service all with the awareness that whatever I need is going to be taken care of and whatever I need in the context of what I'm doing will be taken care of. So whatever is going to deliver the useful purpose, the direction in life um, is also going to deliver the support and the, and the, um, the relationships and every, and you know, money, whatever it is that I need to be able to accomplish my purposes. So it work. It just works. So rather than rather than being specific, and it's okay to be specific, I'm not saying not to do that. I'm just saying that eventually we can come to the place where we live in this awareness that, that life is always nurturing, always supportive, and so we just feel okay. And we and we know that whatever we need is is on the way to us, oftentimes before we even know we need it. And this has been my experience so many times that that you know all of a sudden it emerges that this is going to be really useful. This is going to be important. And, and here the universe has been, you know, sneaking along, you know, stalking me all this time and so that it can present what I need to me exactly at the point when I need it. I didn't even know I needed it. But, but you see that this has been in play for some time. So um, it's really, really quite remarkable the way this whole thing works. Um, so that's my recommendation is to rather than being worried and anxious about it is to just allow yourself to feel that you are already prosperous. You are already healthy. You already have the things that you need and they're the correct things for you now. And there's no, no disharmony, no problem. Um, and, and nobody else has to lose for you to win, you know, so you really feel um, a harmonious relationship. Does that help? Thank you. Yes. Good. And uh, any other questions? And uh, Leota, you're going to do the afternoon meditation today. Is that right? And then tomorrow we have uh, Leota will be offering a workshop. And on Wednesday, uh, Michael Gadway will be offering a workshop. So, so that's available for us. And... So I can see the desire patterns for uh, lunch and dinner emerging from all these beautiful faces. And so it's time to move on and have our, the rest of our day and be joyful. And this afternoon, 2 o'clock, with Leody for meditation. And uh, namaste. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you.